Well, I'm excited to um, speak to you today from our second part of Act of Fool. And we're going to open with our verse that we're kind of using as the base verse for this. So let's look at Proverbs 1, verse 1 through 7. It says this, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline and understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, Knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning. And let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable. The words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Who don't want to be foolish in this room, right? We don't want to despise wisdom and discipline. Last week we talked about the good life of wisdom. It's the patterns and our foundation and our protection. This week we're going to be talking about some other things regarding wisdom and how it's the source of our life. So I've been, since probably beginning of 2020, maybe a couple months in, I just really felt a check in my spirit that God was calling me to lean in to wisdom and discernment. And I feel like that's necessary for every season, but there's certain seasons that we feel like God is pulling us in to pay attention, especially when we're alert to the Holy Spirit and we can discern that he's speaking, then he, we know when he's pulling us close to him and saying, come on, listen close, pay attention. So at the beginning of 2020, I was paying very close attention to everything, And I was sensing some things, and I was looking at some things, and I was reading the word, but I was also going to some sources that may have said they were godly, but weren't necessarily godly. And while I was leaning into my discernment, I still knew that I was filling myself up with the wrong applications of that discernment, with the wrong information. I delved into a very deep rabbit hole of unhealthy thinking. And it ultimately led to a place of anxiety, sadness, and worry. Have you ever had that where you feel like the Holy Spirit's drawing you in and he's saying, come on, listen closer. But then you go to your own sources of figuring out what that means, not this source. And that's what I ended up doing. And I ended up getting into a lot of theories and ideas and concepts that may or may not turn out to be true. But at the end of the day, it was just taking me into a place of fear and anxiety. And I don't think that's what the Holy Spirit was trying to say. So while my discernment was operating, I was leaning into the wrong sources. And here's the thing. In a world where there are thousands of sources pumping into us at any given moment, it's important that we check our source. In a world where absolute truth has been abolished by self-helpism, skepticism, postmodernism, emotionalism, pluralism, moral relativism, and a slew of other isms, it's a must that we check our source. And if you don't know what any of those isms are, you might be stuck in some of them, so you should probably read up on them and then go back to your source. In a world where the linguist thief has ravaged once agreed upon definitions supplied from this truth and this word, definitions of what love is, what justice is, what truth is, what male and female are, what tolerance is, what oppression is, what war and crisis is, we have to check our source. 
So today as we jump into number two, week two of Act of Fool, can you guess what the title of my message is? Check your source. Check your source. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your word today, God. Lord, we just welcome the Holy Spirit in this place, God. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, God. Lord, that you would check our motives, Lord, right now. God, that you would help draw us back to your word, God. Lord, to health in our source, God. Lord, that you would just speak today, God. We are listening, we're here, we're leaned in, God. And we just ask that you would speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John 14, 6 through 7 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He is making a very bold statement. It is this. It is singular. It is absolute truth. It is, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He is saying there is black and white. This is very clear. There's no gray in this conversation. He is saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no gray. Here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, we must stop trying to make what is black and white gray. We cannot continue to try to blend the word of God with all the other sources. We have to stick with what Jesus said. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And he doesn't need us to help his message come across any better. He doesn't need us to make it more palatable. He doesn't need us for that. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So many Christians struggle with this idea, and we blend our sources. We go to CNN and Fox and Instagram. We go to our mother-in-law. We go to TikTok. What is TikTok going to give you that Jesus isn't giving you? (laughs) We go to our peers. In our classrooms, we go to our high school friends. High schoolers go to their high school friends. If you are going to high school friends, we have another conversation to be had. (laughs) We got to stop trying to blend the word and its truth. And here's the thing is when we do that, one often gives way to the other. And it doesn't usually mean that we're following the way, the truth, the life. We're blending and we often allow the source that we're going to the most to take over the word of God. But wisdom of God does not look like the world. See, we're in an upside down kingdom. When you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to an upside down kind of thinking. You, You left worldly thinking to say yes to an upside down kind of thinking because something drew you to that. Something provided hope in that. Something provided some kind of truth inside of you that said, this is the way, this is the truth, and this is life. Yet we struggle because we know people who are struggling with that truth. We struggle not to accommodate. We struggle to try to replace and play in worldly wisdom into godly wisdom, and they don't mix. They're different on purpose. 
Because there's one way, there's one truth, and one life, and that's Jesus. In an effort to obtain a different kind of wisdom from God in this world, wisdom formed and created to produce life. Godly wisdom produces life. We must make sure to check our source and that it is him. So let's look at some ways that we can find wisdom from the source of Jesus Christ, from the source of God. So here's some sources that lead to life. The first is our fear of God. You might be wondering, how does fear of God produce wisdom? Well, let me tell you, Proverbs 17a says exactly this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So I can remember being a teenager and thinking, reading the Bible and reading this verse and going, what does it mean to fear God? Is that, should I literally be afraid of him? Should I be terrorized by God? Is that what it's saying here? And now there are some moments in the scripture in Old Testament that would refer to our fear of God, that we understand his actual power, that he is all powerful and an all powerful God is not one you mess with, right? But that's not what it's saying here in Proverbs. Here in Proverbs, we're speaking to the idea of respect and reverence and awe of the goodness and the greatness and the power and the bigness of God. Respect is a feeling of deep admiration for someone. Reverence is a feeling of deep respect or admiration for something. The beginning of knowledge is what leads to wisdom. Job 28, 28 says this, he said to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. So wisdom starts with our understanding of who God is and how powerful he is and how incredible he is and how much he can do in your life and how wise he is. That's where wisdom starts. It starts in understanding his greatness and his power. And it starts in revering that. And then it goes on to say that to turn, we are to turn from evil. And turning from evil is understanding. That means we are to run away from evil. That's understanding. That's understanding our God. That's understanding holiness. That's understanding the kind of call that he's called us to, which is an upside down kingdom kind of call. The one that doesn't try to blend evil with good. The one that says, oh, nope, I'm staying away from that. That is understanding. Proverbs and Job are encouraging us to know our God. Fear of God is knowing him. It's an understanding of his character. It's a reverence of his being. It's a fear of understanding life with him versus without him. See, when we deeply revere or respect God, then we desperately want to know him and how he thinks. That's the same with anyone, right? Have you ever like, respected somebody so much that you just really care about everything they say? You care so deeply about their opinion and what they would think and how they would act. And you watch them and you figure it out and you kind of tweak your life around that. That is what God asks us to do. That is fearing God. That is knowing him in such a way that we would be drawn to him and care and desire to be like him and to do as he would do. See, the thing is that I think is intimidating for a lot of Christ followers is that we don't know the word inside and out. So when we're seeking wisdom, or someone asks us, well, what does the Bible say about this, or what do you think about this topic? We are timid to respond because we don't actually know God. It's not that we don't know the word inside and out. You don't have to know that. 
If you know the nature and character of your God, you don't need to know every Bible verse. You can say, you know, here's what I struggle with. I struggle with that thinking because my God wouldn't, wouldn't think like that. This is who my God is, so this is how I can respond. Does that make sense what I'm saying? When you know God, we can respond in wisdom. See, it's in, in the wrestling with emotions through prayer, the coming to him in worship, the sitting in silence and the reading of the word that we truly learn who our God is. It's in observing him. It's in observing creation. It's in observing each other that I can say, wow, God made that person. Okay. Even if they're special in your life and difficult in your life, you can look at them differently when you understand they're created by God. And you can see, okay, God, I see how you intended this person to be. I can see your creation in them. And I revere youth and I love you, so I know how you would ask me to respond. So we're gonna look at the life of Solomon, who is known as literally the wisest person to come, to be, and to ever be. So sorry, nobody's gonna win at this point. Solomon took the cake forever. You can't be him. You can't beat him. You will not be the wisest person in the world. You could be second, but God already called him first forever. So here's the thing. First, first Kings, we're going to take Solomon through all four of my points today. First Kings says this in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 3 through 4. Solomon loved the Lord. How did, how did God know that? Because he walked with him in the statutes of his father David. He also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So God saw Solomon follow after the footsteps of his father, which proved that he loved him, loved God. And therefore, he admonished this. He admired this in Solomon. and He saw Solomon. The thing we see here in this verse is that he knew God. He feared God to the point where he would literally take time out of his day to go to the most known altar. We don't know how far it was from where he lived. We don't know how much time and effort it took, but he would go and he would make time to burn incense, to to burn offerings. And this was evidence to God that he knew him and he feared him. Fear of God is the first step to knowledge, which leads to wisdom, which leads to life. Let me tell you how this is true. In Deuteronomy 5.29, it says, If only they had such a heart to fear me and keep all of my commands. If only that, always, so that they and their children would prosper forever. So it's in knowing our God, it's in fearing God, and it's in following after him and his footsteps that we would see our lives full of life, full of prosperity. And I don't mean the financial kind. That's probably a byproduct, okay? But I mean that our life would be full because our source is God and we fear God and we follow after him first. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him and he will make your path straight. Fear of God produces life and longevity. This is not why we fear him. We don't intentionally just try to get to know God and be his best friend so that we can have prosperity. That is wrong thinking and unhealthy, and a lot of churches do talk to that. That's not the reality. That's not where we are going. We fear God because we understand the goodness of God. We understand that in him, life 
is where life is. In him is where truth is. In him is the way. The second thing is that a source of life is to go for the big ask. James 1.5 says this. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. We see this also played out in the story of Solomon. Let's look at it. 1 Kings 3.5. So this is the next verse. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, ask what should I give you? So he's telling Solomon to go for the big ask. At this moment, Solomon could literally say whatever he wants. God's giving him permission to ask. And Solomon replied, You have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on, this th- on his throne as it is today. Lord my God, You have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a receptive heart. This is his ask. To judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for lifelong riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but asked for discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you ask. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. This is where I'm telling you, you can't be the wisest after Solomon. (laughs) In addition... I will give you what you did not ask, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands, just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He went to Jerusalem, stood before the ark in the Lord's covenant, and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he held a feast for all his servants. Solomon here knew that in order to truly care for the people he was to steward, he would need great wisdom. In order to perform his kingly duties of judging people, he'd need wisdom. We are all in a generation that needs wisdom. We must have wisdom. We must have discernment, which we're going to talk about later. We have to press in to having the eyes to see the right from the wrong, the good from the bad. We have to press into that in this generation. Not just for yourself. Not just for your family, but for the people around you who also are looking for that truth and that discernment and that knowing. I believe that in this generation, our choice of choosing wisdom, which is fearing God, following him, asking him for wisdom, is going to be what delineates us, what draws people to us. That they're going to come to us like Solomon and, and and say, help me. How do I decide? And we can give them godly counsel and wisdom and that ultimately it's going to produce life in them because they're going to find hope in Jesus. See, asking of God, though, admits our gaps. It admits our limitations. The reality is we cannot have wisdom without God. The kind of wisdom you're going to go for will be limited. It won't get you very far. It might get you riches, but they're worldly They don't go with us. They don't last very long. And the more money you spend, the more problems you have. So 
Wisdom is going to be necessary, and, and it reminds us that we have gaps and limitations, that we are merely human, that we don't actually know it all. Say it right now. I don't know it all. Go ahead. It's true. Neither do I. Solomon had to admit that his gaps were that he didn't have wisdom and discernment to lead these people. He had to admit that that was his gap. And in asking for that, he was gifted with wisdom and discernment. It reminds us of what we cannot do on our own. And sometimes we just need to be humbled and reminded of what we can't do on our own. And I'll just warn you that if you try to do it all on your own, you will be humbled and reminded that you can't do it all on your own. At some point, it's coming for you. (laughs) All right, number three, sources that lead to life include seeking wise counsel. I'm actually afraid to say this because if you don't have wisdom, you don't know how to find wise counsel. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Often the most dangerous thing is making decisions and seeking wisdom in a tunnel. When I was young, I would just like do what I wanted to do. I would just say, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm so excited, and I would pump everyone up around me. I wouldn't ask any questions. I wouldn't ask God. I wouldn't ask people what they thought. I would just pump everyone up, and everyone was on board. Like, okay, go for it. And then like two weeks later, because I made plans sans God without him, I would get over it, get bored, fail, move along. I mean, I literally was like the girl who cried wolf. Like, I would, <laughs> I would say, this is what I'm going to do. And like three weeks later, you just knew that's, that's not true. She's, she's not sticking with that one. It wasn't that I didn't stick with anything, but there was a lot of things that I got excited about and rallied myself around, and I didn't seek wisdom and counsel, and I ended up not having accountability. And so, therefore, I just didn't make it. I failed. So that's one of the tunnels that we can end up being in, is the one where we turn inward and shape and form our perspective, thoughts, and decision in the darkness of ourself. See, Christ followers can tend to look for one verse in the Bible that supports the thing that you're going after. I can do all things through Christ and strengthen me. That means I can do everything I want. That's not what that, no, that's not what he's saying. It's not how it is. In wisdom, in discernment, in following after Jesus, we often find that the plans of men are not the plans of God, and therefore he's not going to take you on that path that you think you're going on because you think you have the strength of Jesus in you. We have to dig deeper. See, out of context and limited understanding, when we do things alone and inwardly, we can find things to support anything we want in this Bible. You can take any verse out of context and make it fit for you. Paul says, you can do anything. All things can be beneficial or whatever he says there. And you don't even know the verse, so that's exactly what you say. You know? And then you end up in trouble because you just made a decision in a tunnel. The second tunnel that we can end up being in is the one where we turn outward and seek only people who agree with us. And there are people in this room who do that. Go all around to all the peers, all the people who will agree with you. Do you know how many people I've seen walk away from Jesus who've done that? I, th- I really think almost every one. Because we want this to say something different. We want it to blend with popular culture. 
We want it to make sense for the person that we love. We want there to be another way. Because then we don't have to talk about the only way. We got to get wise counsel. Neither of these tunnels are safe. They are tunnels. Tunnels are limiting. They are one directional. They are only keeping in the sideline of your very small vision, which is focused on what you want. Tunnels are dangerous, so you need wise counsel. Proverbs 11.4 says, without guidance, a people will fall. Without many count- with many counselors, there is deliverance. Proverbs 15.22 says, plans fail when there is no counsel. That was my life. <laughs> but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 24, 5 through 6, a wise warrior is better than a strong one, and a man of knowledge than one of strength. For you, that means I could stop dieting and working out, right? Like as long as I have wisdom and knowledge, I'm actually stronger than the one with strength. (laughs) For you should wage war with sound guidance. Victory comes with many counselors. Let's look at Solomon again. 1 Kings 4. Remember, he is the wisest man ever to live. What does he surround himself with? We're going to skip right to verse 5. Azariah, son of Nathan. These are the people he surrounded himself with. A bunch of officials with a lot of names. And then Azariah, son of Nathan, in charge of the deputies, which he had assigned. Zabad, son of Nathan, a priest and advisor to who? The king, which was Solomon. Even the wisest man in the world to ever walk, whoever will walk the planet, needed counsel. So, how do you find wise counsel? Wise counsel. Not the tunnel kind of counsel. Not I'm wise so I can look inside myself and I'll figure it out kind of counsel. Not your peers who want to think, blend everything like you do, kind of counsel. The kind that will cut in to your thoughts, will give you a different perspective. How do we find that kind of counsel? Well, this is the first thing. We have to ensure that they have great character. Their life should look like the same thing everywhere they go. So they should be the same when they're parenting. They should be the same with their spouse. They should be the same with their friends. They should be the same at church. As they are on a Saturday night. Someone who has great character and integrity. 2 Timothy 3.10 says this, and it won't be up there. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. So Paul here is talking about false prophets and teachers. And he's talking about how to to discern the difference between a false prophet and a teacher. Paul's saying here, you followed my teaching, you know me. You know me personally. You have seen my conduct. You have seen my purpose. You have seen my faith. You have seen my patience, my love, and my endurance. So you can trust me. So he's saying this is how you know the difference between unwise and wise. This is how you know the difference between truth and lies. The second thing is that they are submitted to the point of sacrificing their preferences. 
A person with wisdom knows when to sacrifice their preferences. 2 Timothy 3, 11 through 12 says, Along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul sacrificed his preference for the gospel, which was his life. He spent a lot of years in jail. Do you think he preferred to be in jail? He did not prefer to be in jail. He would sacrifice his preference and lay down his life. The third thing is to ensure that their counsel actually lines up with the word of God. Even when I'm speaking to you right now, you should test it against this word. If it doesn't line up, it's not good counsel. It's not wise. But you don't do this in a tunnel by yourself either and take verses that might match up with what you want it to say, right? So you have to have wisdom and wise counsel. First Thessalonians 5.21 says, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. In all counsel, we have to check our source. So just because you've obtained wise counsel doesn't mean, okay, I got permission, let's go. Okay, thank you for that thought. Go back to my Bible, go back to my prayer, go back to my silence and solitude and make sure my God says, okay. The last thing is this. We have to practice discernment. This week in our staff meeting, we were talking um, through a book called Emotionally Healthy Leaders. If you um, aren't a leader, you don't need to read that book yet, but maybe one day you will be so you can read it. But I would strongly recommend everyone in this room reading Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. But anyhow, all that to say, we were going through that, so we're kind of doing a small group in our, in our leadership team and in our environment, and uh, Lauren, who is our Redemption House director, said this brilliant nugget. We can't discern when we are running the pace of the world. We must slow down to hear. If you haven't been here for our last series, Sacred, Saving Sacred, go back to that, and we'll, you'll, we'll be talking all about slowing down. But the reality is that in order to live a life of wisdom, we must learn to listen, which is involving slowing down. We have to learn to discern. Discernment requires sharpening. It's like a sword. When it's practiced and when it's sharpened, it cuts through the fuzz and the confusion and it shows the truth. In order to practice discernment, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to enter our lives. We have to invite him in and say, check my heart. Check my heart and my motives, God. Make sure there's no wrong way in me. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Discernment is the ability to know right from wrong, to know what is life-giving and life-producing rather than leading us to death. We'll go back to the wisdom of Solomon. In 1 Kings 3, he has to practice this newfound wisdom that God's given him. He has two women come in that were prostitutes. They come into the king in verse three, chapter 3, verse 16. Two women who were prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One woman said, please, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she, and, we both, I, and I had a baby while she was in the house. On the third day after I gave birth, she also had a baby, and we were alone. 
No one else was with us in the house. Just the two of us were there. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your servant was asleep. She laid him in her arms, and she put her dead son in my arms. When I got up in the morning to nurse my son, I discovered he was dead. That morning, when I looked closely at him, I realized this is not my son. No, the other woman said, my son is the living one, yours is the dead one. The first woman said, no, your son is the dead one, my son is the living one. So they argued before the king. The king replied, this woman says this is my son who is alive, and your son is dead. But that woman says, no, your son is dead, and my son is alive. This sounds like a Jerry Springer show. (laughs) The king continued, bring me my sword. So they brought the sword to the king, and the king said, cut the living boy in two and give half one to half to one and half to the other. (laughs) The woman whose son was alive spoke to the king because she felt great compassion for her son. My Lord, give her the living baby, but please don't have him killed. The other one said, he will not be mine or yours. Cut him in two. The king responded, give the living baby to the first woman and don't kill him. She is his mother. And from this, all Israel heard it and saw the wisdom of Solomon. Was Solomon intending to actually slice the child in two? No. It was to reveal who the mother of this child was. And in this great wisdom of Solomon, we see that it's gifted by God and it produced life. Living life to a child, to a mother. See, when we we exercise proper discernment, then our lives will produce life. We will see God's hand at work and we will see our life changed and people's lives changed and we will see him at work. Amidst the distractions and mess of our world, the lean into God is essential. So essential right now. We have to lean into our God. We have to fear him. We have to know him. We have to ask him. We have to obtain counsel counsel, and we have to practice discernment. That is what it's going to draw people to the cross ultimately when we could be like Solomon who after this situation everyone came to him kings around the world came to him because they knew they wanted to learn and see and stand in awe of the person who would know how to carry out such wisdom and that's what I believe we could be as a generation the kind of people that people are drawn to that can provide godly truth and godly wisdom that cuts through the muck and the mire of our world. And maybe today you're like, well, this all sounds so nice, but I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. You got to start there. You got to start there. You got to be drawn to the truth of who he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life just as he promised. And maybe today you're saying, I need to know this Jesus. So we're going to go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes as we close today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to know who Jesus is. The Bible says in John 14, 6, that the way to the Father is through Jesus. And when we accept that he came, that he was sent, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again, that he might defeat death, burial, and the grave, when we can accept that for our lives and choose to have him as our Savior so that we might have eternal life in him, we can practice godly wisdom and discernment in our lives.